0: If you can visualize that this is how much CO2 you're burning when you're not actually utilizing your code or or your environments, it's not my wallet, but it's my planet. Uh, And I think that's probably the best uh, motivator you can have.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Green.io, the podcast for responsible technologists building a greener digital world one bite at a time. On Green.io, we explore how to reduce the environmental impact of our digital world. Our guests from across the globe share insights, tools and alternative approaches, enabling people within the tech sector and beyond to boost digital sustainability. More than 99% of organizations worldwide use at least one software as a service solution. According to Gartner, cloud application service, so strictly speaking, software as a service, not mentioning infrastructure as a service or platform as a service, so SaaS, is expected to grow above the 200 billion US dollar milestone in 2024. One of the largest market capitalizations worldwide are SaaS providers like Adobe, Shopify, Zoom, and Salesforce. Several are communicating intensively on their sustainable commitments, and more specifically on their Green IT strategy. But how can you achieve impactful results when most of the decisions are made by your customers? How do you help your clients using your software in a more sustainable way? Now, I have to admit, this episode was a bit of a stretch in terms of scheduling. Therese Gehle is based in Wellington, New Zealand, and Niklas Sundberg lives in Stockholm, Sweden. 10 hours of time difference and a 17,400-kilometer journey. Well, that was worth the effort. Because this dialogue is a great opportunity to get actionable feedback from two experts in the field of sustainable IT especially for software companies. Niklas and Therese have a lot to share about it. Their experience might be different, but they also share quite a lot in common. Both are authors, Nicholas, having recently published Sustainable IT Playbook for Technology Leaders, and Therese being the lead author of the Sustainability Guide for Salesforce Technology. Both are doers. Thérèse is a technical architect at MuleSoft, a Salesforce company, and she is also its Global Sustainability SME. Nicholas is a Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Asa Abloy Global Solution Division. And both are sustainability advocates within the organization as well as in NGO and professional groups. So I would dare to describe them also as activists in a suit, borrowing this expression from Rainer Karcher, the Global Head of Sustainability at Alliance. Welcome, Thérèse. Welcome, Nicholas. Thanks a lot for joining Green GreenIO today.
2: Kiara, thanks so much for the opportunity, Gail.
1: Oh, Kiara, that reminds me of so, so, some wonderful time in New Zealand where, <laughs> when I was hiking and, and meeting wonderful people. Oh, <laughs> thanks a lot for, for <laughs> this, Thérèse. Hi, Nicholas.
0: Hi, happy to be here. Uh, looking forward to a great conversation.
1: Yeah, we're looking for it too. Uh, I'd like to start with my usual question about your journey towards sustainability. So how did you become interested in sustainability and maybe IT sustainability? Uh, Therese, would you like to share a bit about
2: it? Yeah, sure. So I've always had a strong affinity for nature. So I grew up on a farm on the border of Latvia and Estonia so I was always quite blessed and privileged to have the wildlife literally on my doorstep. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I moved to the beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand, is uh, for its incredibly unique fauna and flora. But I think the penny drop moment for me was when I started thinking about how I can make the most impact. And I came to the realization that's probably through being a change agent, if you will, within a big organization, like Salesforce and um, because I felt no matter what I do in my personal life you know I could fly less I could you know watch when you know eating less meat or you know recycling etc cetera, etc cetera. I just had this feeling that that's not enough so what more can I do to move the needle and pretty much from joining Salesforce uh, the very first thing that I did with uh, MuleSoft is I wrote a blog on sustainable engineering practices with MuleSoft. Very humble beginnings. It was just, you know, didn't get a big splash or anything, but this was, what, two and a half uh, years ago. And since then, it, you know, there's we've we've come a long way.
1: Well, that's funny because, you know, there is this great debate, uh, especially among, among young engineers, uh, whether they're software engineers or engineers in pretty much everything, or graduates that, shall I, Quit, shall I leave the regular big corporation world to make an impact and join an NGO, et cetera? And obviously, we need a lot of those great people uh, in NGO, but that's also true. <laughs> I remember, I think it was uh, Antoine Monin, yeah, Alexandre Monin, who, who told us uh, in, in, in a conference recently do not quit, do not leave. We need, you know, change makers within big organization because everyone, if everyone leaves, that will be a terrible issues to move the needle, as you say So I guess you're part of the the one who will make the change within organization. Am I right?
2: Exactly. At least I try to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you can try. And after after a while, if it doesn't move the needle that much, then, <laughs> then you, you've got a free pass to try something else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and the second second thought I just popped it in my mind is. You had the, as you say, the, the the nature on your doorstep, and that connect with something I read very recently. When you assess how much animals are can be spotted in Walt Disney movies as you know a proxy for how much kids are exposed to nature in cultural contents, there is a dramatic reduction, like something from several dozens in early 50s and 60s movies to one or two animals that's pretty much it in other, other um, more recent movies like Aladdin or it's not that recent, but anyway. And that really resonates because not always my, my daughter, I'm like, I need to expose her a lot to nature and a lot to, you know, movies or whatever TV show with uh, with nature, because that is actually the very best way to uh, having people that are aware, just being connected to nature, which is not that easy in in cities. And what about you,
0: Nicholas? Uh, very similar story, I would say. Um, what I love about technology is the impact you can have on on a global scale. And um, like therese was saying, is that um, yes, you can do a lot of things in in your personal life, getting closer to nature. Uh, living more sustainably and so forth. But if you really want to move the needle, make an impact, you need to apply it into your corporate setting. And fortunately, in in my role, I was also tasked to to create a sustainable IT strategy as part of our overall enterprise sustainability strategy. And uh, this is about two years ago. And and, uh, as I started researching into the number of areas, Uh, I had a lot of revelations in terms of the impact of uh, tech and IT uh, here and now, but but also what lies ahead in the next uh, eight to seven seven or eight years um, to to 2030. And um, that sort of had the revelation for me to uh, put together a a playbook based on my own learnings, based on our own findings, our own journey within uh, my company that I work for. And uh, that... Uh, turn out to be a, a playbook for, for technology leaders to, to apply in their everyday life. And and I really want to make something that's very um, hands-on, very tangible, something that you can really pick up, uh, read a few chapters, and then you can start applying it into your uh, business environment. So that was the whole idea, to empower, to inspire, and to activate people to get started. Because I think we have... Um, big knowledge gap in in terms of the impact of tech on climate change
1: Hmm. absolutely and actually we're going to use your book uh, during this uh, this podcast episode and we're going to start in two questions because i would love to ask therese first about her journey writing the book in salesforce and how salesforce and MuleSoft obviously in but the entire Salesforce company is moving toward being more sustainable regarding its um, software practices. this, The focus of this episode is really sustainability in, in software companies or departments building software. So Therese, you've got a unique viewpoint and I would love you to share with us how and why your company recently released this uh, sustainable IT playbook. And I would love then you know, Nicholas, to, uh, I will come back to uh, especially one, one chapter in Nicholas' book a bit later. But Thérèse, if you could start, that would be great if you could explain us a bit why this book why released and what has been achieved so far at Salesforce and or MuleSoft.
2: Of course. I think before I jump into how the guide itself came about, I just want to spend a moment or so just covering the fact that sustainability is actually one of our core values. And I think given that it's embedded essentially in the organization, it made it a lot easier to get support from leadership and to influence internally. So in terms of that initial journey that I alluded to initially, and I just wrote a very humble little blog on sustainable engineering practices, but that over time, snowballed into being connected with the core sustainability team that's like look we love this how do we elevate it what more can we do than being connected across different leaders across technology and product organization as well and they're saying look we're working with AWS on the sustainability pillar and we're trying to do this and it's like how do we marry all of those things up and really combine it all together and um, so I think it, it was a real mammoth group effort. To be absolutely honest, we had some product managers, for example, who had already put some ideas around. So, for example, if you're creating products or services, what kind of principles do you need to think about? So, for example, even things like uh, web page—you know, how long does it take to load? Like, how heavy are the graphics? Things like that. So, it was really the whole the whole initiative. Um, span from, okay, we're starting to, you know, raise that collective awareness internally, but how can we really, you know, make it really polished and share it with the world, share it with our, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers that we have and take them on that journey. Um needless to say, I'm sure Nicholas had a similar experience, but it went through many rounds of reviews and so many different feedback and ideas. So I think the the tricky bit was actually how do we still make it true and useful, but also not letting perfection get in the way of progress. Um, So really this guide, for us, it's a conversation starter. By no means is it perfect, it's just to raise that awareness. It has practices across architecture, design, architecture, development, and operations. And the idea is to give a couple of really practical examples of what you can do across the software development lifecycle to reduce the impact of using our products. So I think in terms of what resonates the most, and it was always a surprise to me, the majority of time we speak to customers, they just, they're completely oblivious that technology of course has an impact. You know, you see these very polished products, but actually they are hosted somewhere on a data center and just even using statistics like, well, data centers actually emit more than the aviation sector which is often quoted and you just see the penny drop because they realize they have a huge uh, footprint with our with our products and then they're like well what do we do like how does it tie to our sustainability strategy and um, so just as, as one example I can speak a lot to uh, from a MuleSoft angle because that's uh, what I've worked with organizations on so one thing and I think this is maybe a little bit different to what's uh, been covered in the past It's also looking at api reusability and what's the impact of that not just from a technology perspective but also in developer productivity so a piece of work that we did recently covered let's look at it more holistically not just the tech as well but actually how you know the human element if you don't need uh three times more project teams to create this because you're already thinking about reuse and having it you know, creating all these composable little building blocks that you can leverage for future projects, you're actually, you know, the human aspect in terms of emission saving is also, you know, you you should not uh, ignore. And for others, it's just learning that organizations often have their sandbox environments completely unchecked. So there's applications that are running, burning resources in the cloud. So it's like, hey, if you had really good governance around decommissioning APIs or applications when they're no longer required and actually having numbers uh, or a process. Um, so uh, as another example, um, Salesforce has these demo organizations or you can spin them up quickly, but they expire after a certain period of time. So then, you know, it takes away the problem of, oh, I need to now go do some work and decommission it. Um, so yeah, th- th- those are, I would say a couple examples that usually get people to, you know, really, like, understand the, how, how impactful it can be.
1: Yeah, so you take seriously the issue with uh, cloud zombies, to, yeah, <laughs> to, exactly. to quote uh, Anne Curie. I, I love her expression about this. I can imagine, like, zombie hunters. Yeah. <laughs> um, And Niklas, I recall you dedicated a full chapter to software, which is uh, quoting you uh, one of the fundamental building blocks of sustainable IT practices. Um, Just don't remember if there are five or six in your book, but you you will update us on this. Does what Thérèse just described resonate with you, uh, especially focusing on software and SaaS providers?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think... um, Like Therese was saying, uh, the first and foremost uh, principle when it comes to software development is to relocate. Uh, I usually talk about 3R principle uh, in terms of relocate, um, re-architect, and right-size the application. So uh, by putting the, the container or the workload that you want to run, in a low-carbon uh, area, that's going to have a big impact, obviously. But then, all, obviously, uh, zombie loads is important to to reduce, uh, shut down your test beds, your um, your automatic testing, and so forth when you're not working on it, for example. And uh, to really try to visualize it, to uh, put the, the power in the hands of the software engineers so that this doesn't become an activity that you do once a year just because you need to calculate your carbon footprint, rather than uh, giving a dashboard to the software engineers where they can actually see in real time what is the energy consumption, what is the carbon emission on their code, on their different uh, environments, and so forth, to really you know, create that engagement uh, all through the organization, to, to have that instant feedback. I think it's really, really important when we come to software development. And this instant feedback approach
1: does it connect to your um your sustainable sdlc practices or is it something different
0: we are exploring in terms of how we can utilize it in the best way uh to bring awareness into this because just just like therese was saying um the awareness is not there and uh, it requires a, a bit of um awareness education in order to bring bring this to the table Um, as a software engineer, you're obviously tasked to uh, uh, bring products and solutions to market quickly. So uh, I think it's also important to embed this into the the software development lifecycle and and not make this as a separate thing that you need to do in isolation. This should be embedded into the the software development lifecycle rather than than, um, doing it in isolation. So Making it as easy and, and consumable as possible, uh, I think it's, it's really, really key. And, and I, I think we will see a lot more of these type of tools um, surfacing in the near future that you can connect to both on-premise um, environments, but also obviously cloud providers like Amazon, Google, and so forth.
1: Yeah, there are some work being done at uh, Kubernetes level in the Kubernetes community, for instance, to get uh, uh, instance carbon footprint, uh, instantaneous, sorry, carbon footprint using uh, using it and kind of incorporating in your CI CD pipeline the carbon footprint of your code. But I, I'm always wondering that both of you, you, you know, you're, you're hands on people, huh? so you, you do it <laughs> for real, in real life, all the time. And how much do you believe this automation? That is kind of a, the best possible outcome because this is, as you said, you need to make it uh, very visual. You make it. You need to make it um, available all the time and not something you know, uh, some kind of yearly committee where everyone gets you know nervous two days before and forget about it. So, having it automated in your CI/CD is a great achievement, but. Is it really doable? And could you share any examples where it has actually worked or is it too early stage at the moment?
0: No, we, we can definitely say that. We, um, I think if you incentivize and, and you tell your software engineers that you know, shut down your cloud environments over the weekend or when you go home from work um, because we want to save cost, that's not really a great uh, motivator. But if you can visualize that this is how much CO2 you're burning when you're not actually utilizing your code or, or your environments, then I think that's that's the best motivator. And and I have a, a colleague, uh, Elsa Westin, she says uh, that it's, it's not my wallet, but it's my planet. Uh, and I think that's probably the best uh, motivator you can have to, to really visualize it and show. And, and uh, we've seen... Uh, that th- this really works that the people are actually taking this serious and decommissioning resources more more readily than they they usually do
1: it's not my wallet but it's my planet i really love it uh Therese, is it like integrating in ci cd pipeline uh, at, at mulesoft or salesforce is it something that you've already done or how do you Enabled or empowered, I would say, uh, your your developers to to make the best possible decisions.
2: So I have two things to uh, say here. I'll start with a custom example, and this echoes what Nicholas was saying. If there's really demand and desire, developers can move really, really quickly. So, for example, I was working with a large bank based based out of India. And initially, they said, look, we're starting our green computing journey, really curious to know what MuleSoft's point of view is, you know, what data can you expose or, you know, what can you, um, how, how can you help us, you know, shape our strategy? And then the next time I checked in with them, they were using green algorithms. They had integrated it with cd pipelines. They already had dashboards set up. They're like, look, we can see the emissions per API, per environment. And now we're essentially collaborating okay this is awesome you've essentially created your baseline you can track and you can actually see you know, what's the impact of each respective action so going through identifying those greenhouse gas emissions opportunities from both architecture both from operational perspective and so forth so that's really exciting i think that's the first thing like there are tools and if there's if you have backing and you really want to do that you can go really fast and it can be really really amazing um, the other thing is, we fully acknowledge that we need to be transparent with our data, and we're really actively working on how do we expose that data through the UI, or so that then you can uh, programmatically retrieve it via our platform APIs. So there's work being done on our core platform. So for CRM, uh, it's not officially released, but it's it's essentially in the works. So I've seen a couple of um, demos or uh, you know, just had to play around with it. But it's really, really fascinating because it actually shows you what different different Apex classes, what are the carbon emissions, you know, for your different um, components that you've configured, you know, the front end or more back end if it's called, you know, making calls to back end systems. And it exposes all of that out, you know, out of the u- user interface, which is really, really powerful, which is the biggest thing customers constantly ask us for. Uh, and it's something that we' are like there's demand for it, and we have to do our you know our part in making sure that data is available, so they can also start making better informed choices because the minute they can see what the you know what is the what the emissions are and and starting to understand what that actually means, that they will want to do something about it. Um, so that's that's the first thing that we're focusing on. Well,
1: I've got a bit of a dilemma because the two examples uh, you gave. Um, I would like to to, dig a bit deeper. So let's park for the moment uh, your great example with this bank in India because I wanted to connect next about which kind of support they got from their leadership level. And I know that um, there are not the full chapter in in Nicholas' book uh, about it as well. So let's park this for a moment and let's go to this data question because that's something that I hear over and over among my guests here in the podcast and people I work with, for instance, in the climate action tech community or Boa Vista, that, yeah, data is not here. Data is not transparent. Data is only Scope 1 or Scope 2. How much do you know and how much, Therese, do you believe that Salesforce or maybe only MuleSoft, uh, you tell us, would be able to provide open and checkable data including Scope 3, and how much can you put pressure on your own suppliers? Because as I recall, Nicholas, um just quoting it by heart, but there is something in your book about um, uh, leveraging your purchasing power or something like that. So I, I'd love both of you to comment. Maybe, maybe Therese, if you can start first on what is your ambition with, uh, with, with data so far?
2: Great question. It's always a little bit prickly, isn't it, when it comes to... <laughs> Uh, data. But no, that's why it's important to talk about it. So I I guess first thing to mention here is MuleSoft is built on Amazon Web Services. So actually, we have been working very closely with AWS and pushing them to share more data and be more transparent. Because of course, you know, we put our products um, on their infrastructure. So it's another layer. So from a customer perspective, there's like layers and layers. And it can, be, can become very tricky then to try and calculate what you know what the emissions are. Um, and, th- and that's progressing. So I know that pressure, and I, I know it's been talked about in previous podcasts as well, but that's 100% our strategy. And me being in the customer success organization, I'm always educating the customer to say, put pressure on us because that's how we shape the product roadmap. The minute we have every customer demanding this, it will be there. So I'm essentially also a customer advocate in that regard because I um, show them the art of the possible, but also say, look, sustainability is important for any large organization. I start asking the questions, how, you know, as part of your 2030 strategy, you also want to reduce scope-free emissions, which is purchase goods and services, which means us. So, you know, I sort of plant the seed Because that also helps us go, you know, get more momentum in how, you know, how many resources we can put on to expose that data. And while we're working all of that out in terms of, okay, so what's the method? How much can we share? There are other ways at the moment that I've used to help customers at least get a really good ballpark figure, because often the best that you can typically get from a vendor is let's look at how much you spend with us and that spend proportion is your emissions out of our entire emissions, right? It's like a spend-based allocation method. And for most organizations, that's just not good enough. It's not granular enough. So then using uh, a third-party API that, you know, so for example, Works kind of framework, we can actually reasonably well go back and, okay, so you're hosting your MuleSoft integrations and APIs in this region on this kind of worker, the CPU is roughly this, like that's enough input for me to actually work out what those emissions are. And then it's granular enough also to track if they do something, what's the impact? And that's actually something we're doing with a couple of large organizations. And the reason why it's so important is if we have those success stories, we can again go back in and say, look, this is what, you know, the impact you can have and we need to amplify it.
1: Yeah, you know, Therese, when I'm listening to you, I always feel a bit schizophrenic because when I listen to you, I'm like, oh great, there are these this, this greed doers inside big corporation pushing and basically raising awareness in, in departments, in companies where the, the simple idea that your software or your data centers are, is, are actually an issue, an environmental issue, it, is something that is not here at all. Or that, that's great, et cetera, et cetera. And then I mean, I made this um, very, you know, um, hands-on activist who are already talking about scope three about, yeah, we need also to pay attention to resources and not only carbon. And we need to have way more information from big cloud providers, especially at AWS, which is not the number one at the moment in their wish list, I would say. Um, Because it's not only the carbon which is emitted by the energy you use, but also the Quite a significant carbon footprint uh, when you build a, a, a hardware, and you've got even other issue with water usage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I feel always a bit schizophrenic. So, Nicholas, can can you can you be my my shrink here and and help helping me, you know, with all the the different experiences you've got, and there's also your very important role in sustainable IT.org? Are we getting better? Is is it bad, doctor? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think, you know, if we take the doctor example, uh, I think we're all starting to come to a realization that the patient is sick. And, and in, this, uh, in this perspective, it's, it's the planet that uh, we need to create a, uh, a medicine or come up with a remedy for. Um, I think also, as I state in my book, is that uh, no one has all of the answers. I think this needs to be a very collaborative uh, approach uh, between Technology leaders like myself sitting on the buyer side, but also working with the vendors like Salesforce, ServiceNow, Microsoft, and and what have you. I think it's really, really important that transparency is key. Because if you're not going to have transparency, I think a lot of companies are going to be doomed, to be honest. So uh, it's rather better to have an approach saying that we are working on it. We don't have all the answers. These are the assumptions. This is how we're trying to work it out. Because we also have uh, emergent legislations in in Europe, for example, with the CSRD, uh, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, that by 2024, 2025, you need to start reporting on your full uh, scope one, scope two, and also your scope three. So these tough questions need to happen, and uh, it's just a matter of months and and, uh, less than a year where we need to start getting these type of data points from vendors. And uh, I think that will probably be enough to start driving impact because, as we we sort of discussed in the beginning of the podcast, as technology leaders, when we put in something into motion, we do it on a global scale and it has a massive impact if you do it right from the beginning. So, um, I'm, I'm very confident that once we sort of have an established baseline, I've seen examples where you can reduce your CO two emissions by two thirds uh, quite rapidly if you use some uh, well equipped levers to do so. That's always something that
1: I love to ask. What is kind of the top actions or the top tips that you could share? That is that are workable pretty much everywhere in every company, and what are the actions? which are more specific to each company. So obviously you cannot list all of them, but more like, okay, you know, if you want to start and, and achieve these very uh, successful results in a matter of months or years, whatever, uh, what you should start looking at pretty much in any companies and what is usually a bit more company specific?
0: Yeah, so so we already discussed uh, cloud and the impact that it can have by, by choosing the right location and the right provider. Um, Software development is obviously one key, but then also uh, in my role as a CIO, you're usually managing thousands of applications and uh, having a good application portfolio management around those. And this is the great thing about that you're not not only going to reduce your CO2 footprint by by rationalizing your applications and and moving things to the cloud and and, and, uh, migrating things and and removing uh, legacy applications. But you also there there's a very compelling uh, IT cost reduction uh, built into that. So you have sustainability, you have IT cost reduction working alongside together. Uh, so application uh, rationalisation on, on a bigger scale is is quite important to to work with uh, as a CIO as a CTO. One thing that we haven't mentioned is the embodied carbon, for example. And and when I mean embodied carbon, I, I talk about uh, all of the hardware that you procure, for example, anything from uh, your smartphone, your laptop, your servers, your network equipment, and so forth. And uh, if we take some examples, for example, just uh, an Apple iPhone uh, 14 uh, emits uh, 70 kilos of CO2 over a three-year life cycle. Uh, a typical Dell laptop um, off the shelf, um, roughly emits uh, 320 kilos over a four-year life cycle. So I think also as consumers, as a consumer of IT, um, we need to make sure that we prolong the longevity of the hardware and make sure that we can find a second life and we can pass them on in the value chain uh, by not only uh, disposing them, but to work with the, a reputable partner that can can give uh, the asset a uh, second life. They can refurbish it. They can repurpose it. They can take apart components and, and putting into to new or, or um, old assets. And recycling should really be uh, the last asset to be honest. And and from what I hear talking to some of these uh, vendors like Apple and, and Dell is that Uh, We haven't really done a great job of of creating circularity where these assets actually come back to them. Uh, Apple, for example, have uh, created the the robot Daisy, and and they have them on on a number of locations uh, across the world. But from my understanding is that they only get back a very, very uh, insignificant portion of the number of assets or number of smartphones, for example, that they are putting out there in the marketplace. So I think we also have a responsibility to make sure that we uh, apply a more circular approach to this uh, to prolong the longevity of the assets. But also when they become end of use or end of life, then we make sure that we work with um, a solid partner that can provide us with a transparent supply chain that can provide us with good data and to make sure that the assets is being uh, refurbished or
1: recirculated. So to sum it up, the three main corporates to investigate first, uh, if I if I follow your ideas, will be be carbon aware with your cloud location, uh, rationalize your application and decommission as much as possible of them, and then be aware of the embedded carbon of your own devices and hardware, and make sure that yeah you you go full speed toward a circular economy or the circularity of it Um, am i am i right
0: yes for sure and then to the fourth point is, is really to leverage your your vendor ecosystem to start putting pressure on your vendors so so really uh leverage your buying power and and work with the vendors that are serious about this look at the vendors, what type of commitments they have done, for example, and, and how they are working with it and, and replace the vendors that are not serious about it, because there are a number of vendors that haven't really uh, taken this seriously so far.
1: And so Therese, do you feel the pressure?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, as I joked earlier, I think we can always apply more pressure <laughs> to really, really move the needle forward. Um, but yes, similar to uh, what Nicola said in terms of, you know, choosing your suppliers, we actually do have something called a sustainability exhibit. And the whole idea behind that is to put climate commitments into our supplier contracts. The idea being, again, we want to take our suppliers on that journey and say, OK, you know, do you have science-based targets? If not, you know, like we can share everything that we're doing. Um, to really knowledge share, because at the end of the day, we only win if we all win, right? Like no one wins alone in 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 preserving and uh, saving the planet. The more people we can get get on board, the better.
1: I mean, you started to explain that basically, you do a great job educating your own customers, and actually, that in a perfect world, that should be the opposite. So. Do you is there like different kind of customers or different locations? Like, do do you experience that you've got more pressure from customers based I don't know in Singapore or in the US rather than in other countries, and um, or is it mostly you who would actually who will actually yeah raise awareness, explain that using Salesforce or MuleSoft um, has some some environmental impact and that it should be aware of it. How, how does it go today?
2: The first battle was actually raising awareness internally and um, and really you know bringing to light the impact. because it, again, it's not just carbon, right? Uh, as Nicholas mentioned, it's also you know all of our devices need rare earth metals, so there's a myriad of different issues. But coming back to the question in terms of organizations that we work with and customers. There's a really fascinating trend. Whenever we do, maybe I speak at a community event, or um, we do something with our developer community, all of a sudden the techie is like, "Oh, this is fascinating! I didn't realise this," and we starting to see more and more demand in, um, you know, requests around. Well, what can you? What can we do? Do you have any guidance? Um, and then they, they want to partner up. So I do. It is a little bit of um, push and pull, so sort of also um, planting the seed. And you have to also remember traditionally the audience or the stakeholders from organizations that we work with tend to be, you know, your architects, developers and so forth. So while these really mature, large organizations have a very mature sustainability or ESG uh, department, the IT organization often has no idea And those two departments are essentially in silos. So again, just through some of our work, we sometimes say, hey, you know, your organization has these goals. How are you, you know, working from an IT perspective? You know, how does IT feed into the wider uh, strategy? So that's, again, like how we um, influence and work with these large organizations to really, you know, make the penny drop and also show them what could be done and share some of the successes from other organizations.
1: And I, I would love to bounce back on what you say because the, the strategy part is something that I'm uh, facing more and more with my customers. And, you know, you've got strategy for everything. You've got strategy for accessibility, you've got strategy for sustainability, you've got strategy for security, cybersecurity, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously strategy for marketing, product, blah, blah, blah what would be your advice to incorporate a sustainable it strategy in in in, a, <clears throat> in your corporation is it something that should be separated connected with the sustainability strategy if so how uh, it shouldn't exist at all it's a bit like a digital strategy today that's a very wrong signal if you've got a digital strategy because it means that the digitalization is not that advanced in your own company so what would be your your feedback on this therese
2: i don't think you can use a cookie cutter approach frankly i think it really does depend on what your organization you know how it's structured you know how you, what your strategy is in the first place uh, and so forth but um what i've seen at least with some of the organizations that we've recently partnered up with is they have a very strong and clear idea what their goals are. So, for example, by 2030, they want to halve their carbon emissions. They also have strategies around, you know, which sustainable development goals um, are a priority for them. And I've seen IT leaders look at that and say, okay, so looking at our current estates, how does that feed up? And even I'm starting to see some of the organisations that we speak to actually have strategy uh, sustainability as part of their IT strategy as well. So before it wasn't anywhere written down, and it's now formally captured. And as part of that, they might have different domains that they uh, you know call out, so be it domain or applications or their cloud strategy. I think a part of that also echoes, you know, seeing some of the hyperscalers having sustainability in their well-architected frameworks. So it's just like really fascinating to see that formally being part of the IT strategy as well. But again, that's just a few examples I've seen. I know for others, it's completely different. And yeah, so short answer, you know, it really depends on the kind of organization
1: Sure, but it helps to share some, some some feedback nonetheless. And what about you, Nicholas, because you th- it's a significant part of your book which is dedicated to, to strategy.
0: Um, well, I think it's important to uh, you know first have uh, an established baseline in terms of where you are and, and uh, what are the levers that you can sort of uh, pull in order to get to a desired state. Um, I think uh, the journey is obviously going to be different for, for different industries, for different companies and so forth, uh, but it's important to formulate that overall strategy and similar to a digitalization strategy. It's be, it should be embedded into your overall business strategy or, or your IT strategy and, and not be a standalone pace, but to to embed it and, and to make, make it uh, part of the DNA uh, as we progress with this. So. Create a simple, actionable strategy that you can start with. It doesn't need to be something that's going to take you six months or 12 months to produce. It should be fairly simple. It should be action-oriented. And uh, you should have a number of key tangible areas, like we talked about, data centers, for example, or cloud, uh, how you reduce your embodied carbon with your end-user computing, for example. How do you look at your application portfolio? So... Very, very tangible and, and really uh, a great strategy should really also single out a number of items that you shouldn't do and really focus on the key things that are going to make the biggest impact
1: for you. So you're a big fan of the Moscow and especially the W, huh? what you won't do when you prioritize things.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and I think one, one thing um, that we haven't really discussed in, in that uh, much detail is, is dark data. And I think that's that's really something that's a bit concerning. Uh, I think going forward as well, is that there's so much data that we that we store uh, single-use data and that we never to retrieve it again, for example. And and this obviously comes into the the space of AI, uh, autonomous vehicles and so forth, where we train different models. We we need large data sets in order to be able to. Um, create a safe environment for, for autonomous vehicles and so forth. But I think it's equally important to make sure that we uh, put good retention data in place uh, for for companies uh, to make sure that the data doesn't just grow indefinitely. Um, and there are some numbers around this that uh, in this year uh, in, in uh, last year, in, in 2022, we uh, generated 97 zettabytes of data. And that's 97 trillion gigabytes of data. And uh, by 2025, if we don't sort of break the curve or, or we change the way in terms of how we we, we manage data, this will double to, to roughly 180 uh, zettabytes. So 180 trillion gigabytes. So it's an enormous amount of data. And, and we really need to uh, reimagine the approach to how we managed data
1: going forward. Indeed, and and you know, connecting with what we've discussed briefly earlier, which is that there are stuff beyond carbon, I, I, always, lo- I always love to quote this uh, this study from uh, Melvin Vobson about the material footprint of data, because if we continue at that space with the current technology, but v- Melvin Vobson made a very simple calculation, which is that under the current data growth, by 2000, I think it was 2047, we will have to excavate the size of the Mount Everest every year just to build the servers to store this data. So I guess this is where, as you said, like, I, sustainable I-Street strategy meets data strategy and especially data governance about yeah, deleting when you don't use it or do not creating it at, uh, at the first place. There is something that we briefly mentioned uh, for you, Nicholas, with sustainableit.org, and not at all with you, Therese, But but both of you, you shared how much it is, it's important to to work in teams, to work collaboratively, both within your companies but also outside your companies. And both of you, you are very much involved in in other in activities, like I briefly mentioned, NGO and and, and stuff. Could you tell us why company today should not remain on their own when it comes to sustainability? And what are the the commitments that you would like to highlight uh, in, in your professional life?
2: I guess I can go first. Um, so I think it goes without saying you can learn a lot. And I've been really inspired by the open source community, just the eagerness to collaborate um, and one brain is better, you know. Two two brains be- better than one. And um, and also some of the problems that we, you know, they're really really complex when it comes to um, trying to figure out how do we solve it because the systems have multiple layers or different components, and then you have networking, back end, front end. You know, very quickly it can get very very complex. So you know, be a partnerships with. Um, Universities, because I know Salesforce done, does that as well. Uh, in terms of you know what is the most recent papers that have been published in the space, what can we learn from that? Uh, but also giving back to the community as well, right? So how can we um, contribute to open source or you know really get people on board? And um, I guess from my perspective, I've been involved quite heavily, just you know in terms of MuleSoft developer community. So again, this is everyone. I, Across our customers and partners and so forth. So again, just sharing things around the guide or what we're doing, um, but also, for example, Green Software Foundation. I, you know, follow what they do, where I can, uh, you know, contribute on their GitHub, you know, discussions, and whatnot. So again, I just think there's a myriad of different really passionate people who, you know, really want to move the needle, needle and the only way we're going to solve it is by partnering together.
1: Yeah, I love the Green Software Foundation work, and uh, kudo to their great podcast, Environmental Variable, a great source of information in the in the field, definitely. And what about you, Nicholas?
0: Well, I think uh, th- there's a great value of of uh, sharing. Uh, this is something that we can uh, share across industries, um, among companies within the same industries, and so forth, because this is really uh, a common journey for for the planet, and um, So I would really encourage to get engaged with uh, organizations like SustainableIT.org where where I'm part of the the board and and, uh, we've seen great progress with a lot of uh, companies joining in in the last 18 months. Uh, There are others like CIO CO2 here in Sweden and uh, the Green Software Foundation as well is is another one that sort of um, has propelling the purpose going forward. So, Look for case studies, look for other companies uh, doing great things. And, and uh, so far, I've seen some amazing stories from some, some companies uh, getting involved in sustainable IT, for example, and, and really inspiring to see the journey that they are taking and, and uh, taking a holistic approach, but also being very open uh, in terms of the challenges that they have or the challenges that we share. I would really like to direct you to uh, uh, sustainableit.org and the IT standards and the environmental uh, ESG social and governance standards that we have put out. Uh, so that's a great starting point. It's a free resource to, to get into and, and uh, start pivoting. And, and it's a great compliment if you're looking to create a, a strategy around this.
1: And I will put all those references in the show notes, obviously. Thanks a lot. Both of you, and before we leave, um, I'd like to close now with a different question. So this is a, that will be my first. Could you share a piece of news which has made you optimistic about our path toward a more sustainable world? To close on a positive note,
2: it's not really a news story. Uh, me being me, I like doing something that's taken outside a little bit of the box or so answer the question, but. Um, I did a course a couple of months back called Leadership in Sustainable Business and one of the key facilitators, Rachel Brown. She's been in the climate space pretty much all her life. She was even part of the first cohort of presenters for Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. And she's also the founder and CEO of the Sustainable Business Network in New Zealand. So needless to say, she's a very impressive individual. um, And she actually told us that in her entire career this is the most momentum that she's ever seen in the sustainability space and that for me personally was incredibly uplifting because I think we often uh, see a lot of doom and gloom in the media and the more aware you become it can feel like the problem is just overwhelming so just hearing someone who's a seasoned veteran an expert someone with a lot of clout who said, well, actually, like, don't feel disheartened, you know, look after yourselves. But, you know, if you're feeling down and need a little pick-me-up, just remember, this is the most momentum I've ever seen personally. And she's really optimistic for the future. So, yeah, that's my little piece of good news. And
0: and uh, I, I really resonate that with, with that as well. I, I think we've built up uh, great momentum uh, going forward. Uh, I think just in the last 12, 18 months, I've seen tremendous progress. Uh, We've had, obviously, some black swan events in in recent years with with COVID-19, but now also the the war in Ukraine. And and you see how uh, countries in Europe is is pivoting, for example. And the massive amount of creation of renewable energy in in Europe at the moment is is really, really staggering. And um, if we can solve some key issues, for example, where uh, we can create renewable energy in, in Sahara Desert in, in northern Africa, for example, and, and the transmission, then, then we have a great opportunity uh, to drive down the carbon intensity quite quickly. So um, I think I'm, I'm very, very optimistic in terms of the momentum, the conversation. I, I also get a bit beaten down on the doom and gloom um, from, from the news and, and so forth time to time but but then I tried to reset myself and, and really look at the big picture and, and see all of the great things uh, that's happening especially in the US for example with the the reduction act the the, the great uh, infrastructure reduction act has also had great momentum in the US uh, and uh, that's probably one of the most important legislations that has come across uh, the hill in in the last 10 15 years so um Really, really optimistic for the future.
1: Thanks a lot, both of you, for joining the show, sharing that much, which is something that you're used to uh, when we see your track record when it comes to uh, uh, NGO involvement and then professional groups involvement. But still, very uh, enjoyable to have you on the show and uh, looking forward to the comments from our
0: listeners.
2: Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege.
0: Thank you so much. Very happy to be here and and really great discussion today. Thank you for
1: listening to this Green IO episode. In episode 25, we will talk about massive announcements made by the W3C two weeks ago, which is the release of the draft version of its sustainability guidelines. Two core members of the sustainability workgroup, nicknamed SustiWeb, will be with us to share insider information. Lucas Mastalert, and Ines Akrap. They will highlight how these guidelines will impact the life of designers, project managers, web developers, and pretty much everyone working on the internet. Stay tuned. Before you leave, a small message from our sponsor. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Greenio is a free and independent podcast, and so we need your help to keep it that way. You can help us by supporting us on Tipeee, the link is in the episode note. I also give online and on-site conferences and facilitate workshops about climate change and digital sustainability, so do get in touch if that interests you. It's a good way to allow me to keep investing in the podcast. Full disclosure. Each episode takes me roughly 15 hours of work, finding the guests, convincing them, researching the topic, etc., and it costs between three and €400 Euro to produce. So now you've got all the figures. If you cannot donate, that's fine. You can support us by spreading the word. Rate the podcast five stars on Apple and Spotify. Ask a friend to do it too. Each vote is worth a thousand likes on YouTube, believe me. Sharing an episode on social media or directly with a relative is also more effective than many ads. Seriously, thanks for your support. It means a lot to us. Us being me, but also Tanny Levitt, our amazing podcast producer, and Gilles Tellier, our amazing podcast curator. And stay tuned by subscribing to our Green Eye newsletter. The link in the episode notes, but you already know the drill. You will get carefully curated content, episode wrap-ups, and exclusive articles it is as free and independent as the podcast itself and it aims to help you responsible technologists build a greener digital world